Hello, North Texas sports fans. Welcome to Sports Day Insider from the Dallas Morning News. It's your weekly update on all things Cowboys, Rangers, Mavericks, Stars. Should I go on? I'm Kevin Sherrington. I'm Evan Grant. And I'm David Moore. We break down the calls, the playmakers, and all the inside scoop right here every Tuesday. And you can stay up to date on every Sports Day Insider episode and other great shows. Just follow the Dallas Morning News wherever you get your podcast. And if you like what you hear, don't forget to rate the Dallas Morning News feed. It really does make a difference. Guys, can we get the show started? Let's do it. Here we go, sports fans. Hello, everybody. Welcome into Sports Day Insider. I am Kevin Sherrington, joined by David Moore. Hello, David. Hello, Kevin. There's a nice marine layer here this morning in Oxnard, California, or as Jerry calls it, Oxnard. <laughs> you know, I love the marine layer, and I love me some Jerry. I tell you what. <laughs> is Jerry Has Jerry's good friend Buno shown up? Buno, Buno has not been here. Oh, that's, uh, that's Evan Grant chiming in there. Hello, Evan. How are you? I'm fine. I'm still kind of delighted inside my head, conjuring up the images of the University of Texas kind of coming with its hands out, saying, uh, hey, SEC, how about a little something for us? That, that's, that's the image you have of all that, yeah. that is that That's what you take from this? Yes, I do. <laughs> should, should we start there and have Evan expound on that theme I, I think we need to leave that as soon as possible it's <laughs> you don't want to know what I'm, i've got conjured in my mind about a&m do you well it, you know, never mind the fact that both texas and a&m are the two biggest revenue producers in college athletics but anyway what, whatever you say evan uh that, that sounds good to, to me um you know the most amazing part of this whole story uh with uh, the big tw- uh the big 12 uh obviously about the breakup and Texas and Oklahoma leaving is that this just came out of nowhere. Uh, at the, at the big 12 meetings, uh, Bob Bowlesby uh, at the end of his press conference kind of made the announcement. Thanks everybody for not asking about realignment. Uh, it's it, and, and you don't get to ask anymore. This is it. That was the last question. And, and Bob was dead serious. He, he had no idea this was happening and neither did any of the rest of us. And I'm only glad that I didn't write a column that I was planning to write, which was the Big 12 had never seemed so stable uh, as it did <laughs> at that moment, which would have been the most regrettable column I've ever written. The, the fact that both schools were able to engage in these high-level discussions with the SEC and work this out to the point where it's all going so quickly now with the filing of letters yesterday with the Big 12 and to – uh, today, this morning with the SEC, uh, that it didn't get out until within 12 hours of when all of this hit publicly is amazing to me in today's media climate. Yeah, it really is. And it tells you what was going on here. You know, Kevin Eltife, who is the, the chairman of the Board of Regents of Texas, was the, was the guy driving this bus. And uh, uh, he's a former state legislator, was very effective in that role, known for his bipartisanship, he's a Republican, but uh, from Longview, but just a, a guy who, who really got things done. And clearly, this is what he wanted to do. And, and the, the thing that really, you know, surprised everybody was not only the fact that these two schools would be doing this, but that Texas had never really given any inkling that it wanted to go to the SEC. 
Texas had always been rumored for the Pac-12 or for the Big Ten, that, that was, those were like-minded institutions, and the SEC was really not Texas speed. And, and now, all of a sudden, that's all changed. Uh, and, and the people that I've talked to have said uh, what changed was the fact that, that Texas' biggest donors were tired of playing in a Mickey Mouse league, uh, and they wanted to play in the big boy league. And that, and that's what they're that's what they're going to do now. And and that's and 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 yeah, they're tired of dominating that league. Is is, is that the case? Well, you know, it's the same thing with A and M, right? What what did A and M won before it left the the Big Twelve to go to the SEC? Uh, What's it won since it's joined the SEC? Well, and, and that's and that's the point. And of course, all the lesson from all this is that. Not that the Big 12 didn't pay out. I mean, the, the paydays were pretty good from the, from the Big 12 and have been over the last 10 years, you know, uh, ranging in the $35, $38 you know, million dollars a year per school. That's pretty good money. Uh, it's just bigger money in the uh, SEC, and it's going to be bigger money, supposedly with the new contracts that are being drawn up uh, in the SEC now with ESPN. Each one of these schools could get up more than $60 million a year. Uh, which is an incredible sum of money. Now, and I know people say, well, Texas and A&M and Oklahoma, they're already making a lot of money, aren't they? Why do they need this? Why does the SEC need this? And my reply to that is, uh, ask a rich man if he has enough money. You know, no, no one ever believes that. Well, and just where I think this is a recognition on, on the part of Texas and Oklahoma, too, that uh, especially from Texas, that you know, they've, they've, Texas has lost some competitive relevance here, and, and you could see where this was going. Don't just look at where these conferences are now. What was the prospect five years from now, ten years from now? And if, if both UT and Oklahoma left themselves in the same situation, wouldn't their programs be diminished? Aren't we going toward, well, that the, the SEC is it, and so it's going to, you know, perpetuate itself because it's always going to get the top players. And if you, you know, I, in my mind, Texas is really at the point where it needs some of the competitive credibility that the SEC brings to keep them in the mention of the elite uh, college, you know, programs. And so I, I think it was, sure, the money is, that's always a, a driving factor on this. But I, I think if you step back and you look at the landscape, how could UT and OU strengthen their footprint in college football by staying in the Big 12 as it's designed now? And I think they came to the determination, we can't. All it can do is erode, and we would just be the two outliers in a conference no one cares about. And I, I think they recognize, you know, it, it makes more sense maybe to be in the middle of the pack or the, or the top third of a conference uh, that everyone acknowledges is the best because for recruiting purposes, uh, for image purposes, that's really going to play more into who we want to be long term. And that's what my poorly worded metaphor was all about, to be perfectly honest. It's not so much about, hey, give us some of the money, but it's more like give us some of the credibility that the SEC brings um, and, and I think that, you know, Kevin, you talked about the academic element. I think that Texas and o, OU always thought that they were, they didn't need the credibility on the athletic side that the SEC offered. And I think they do feel like they need that now. Well, I don't think there's any question about that. I, I think, you know, I just want to go real briefly back to a little history here and why Texas is in this place. You know, we, if you go back to the days of the Old Southwest Conference and why that disintegrated, it was all it was all because 
Texas was tired and it, and I'm just speaking as Texas now, not myself. I didn't go to Texas. Uh, it was tired of dragging around Rice, TCU, Houston, Baylor, SMU. Uh, these were small schools, private schools. They didn't have big alumni bases. Uh, they, they didn't bring a lot of money to the table and, and they were tired of that. Well, so they, they move over to the big 12 thinking that, okay, this will be better. And it was better, uh, more state schools involved and, and, uh, and they were able to do more and make more money. Uh, but it still wasn't, uh, a, a big time athletic conference. When you compare the others, the, the difference between the big 12 and the other schools, well, there's too many small schools, too many small state schools. If you go to the SEC, you go to the Big Ten, even the Pac-12, even though there's several schools from California in that, most of those are big schools. Uh, it's it's very hard to generate uh, revenue if you're a Baylor, if you're a TCU, if you're an SMU, you know, th- those, when you're small schools, that's hard to generate a lot of power from that. And now, for the first time, probably ever, Texas will be in a conference where it will be with on, on the same level as all the rest of these schools. They, they, they'll still make more money than the rest of them will, uh, but they will be on the same level with, with the rest of them. So this is going to be an interesting uh, situation here with Texas. How does Texas handle this? It's used to getting its way, you know, throwing its weight around uh, the arrogance, you know, kind of like nonstop. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how this hap- what, what happens. I, at this point, I'm a little less concerned about what Texas and Oklahoma do in the SEC than I am what, what happens to everybody else. Yeah. And that, that is, for me, the real issue here is that how can the rest of the Big Eight rescue itself? Will it break up? Will it splinter? Uh, there are a lot of questions about, you know, oh, I've, I've had feedback from people inside the Big 12 to me when I said that, it looks to me like the best option is for for several of these schools to go to the American Scatter. Athletic Conference, yeah, uh, and or to or to go wherever you can go. There is no way you can attract, in my mind, other schools. I mean, how how are you going to get? You know, the, the targets were always used in Cincinnati, uh, Louisville, whatever. Uh, these were these were the targets they had always had in mind. Why would one of those schools come to the Big Twelve now? Uh, I, I don't I don't get that. Whatever they do, they're going to have to decide pretty quickly, too, because this is going to really accelerate things. And and very quickly, we're talking about this from from Texas OU perspective, but this makes the SEC better, too. I mean, this and, and you know, this is this is a conference not just sitting there saying, well, we're the best. Everyone's aspiring to be us. Is the SEC going? How can we make ourselves even stronger and maybe be ahead of the curve on where we see college athletics going. So I think it was a, I think it was proactive on all their parts, but now, you know, TCU, uh, we talk about schools in Texas, Oklahoma state, what does this do to them? I mean, they're just kind of a, an outpost now, where do they go? I mean, these schools and, and what's left of the big 12 have to be really proactive and move quickly here. Cause I, I think, I think everyone's on the clock now. Quickly, Kevin, who are the two most attractive schools now left in the Big 12 for some other conference to try and poach? Well, I don't think there's any question that uh, that Oklahoma State is the most attractive because it's it's good in football and basketball. Uh, the, you know, the, Kansas would be, you know, presumably for the for the Big Ten because of its academic status uh, and because of its basketball program. But the football program is 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 one uh, guy I talked to told me it's it's not even an FBS program. You know, so uh, so how do you do that? I mean, 
in my mind, you know, there was always this talk that ACC supposedly wanted to try to get Texas and Oklahoma. It's like, really? Texas and Oklahoma are going to plan a conference on the East Coast? I mean, how does that work with everything else that you've got going on in uh, college athletics? I mean, how, how do you how do you get these these teams to go to the East Coast and play on their schedule? The volleyball teams, the basketball teams, you know, when you're playing those kind of schedules. There has to be some kind of sense to the alignments here that – they they have to be more regional alignments. I've seen stuff saying that that perhaps the you know uh, the the Pac twelve and and uh, you know other conferences should should combine. That, that that's just covering too much distance. You know it's going to be it's just too prohibitive to do that from a financial standpoint. So I, I think that TCU has some attraction because they've had a lot of success. Their facilities are good. They've been upgraded. But my problem with TCU for another conference is is that don't you have to look at them and say is this the cult of Gary? You know, what What happens when Gary Patterson leaves? Is TCU going to slide back to being what it was? Look what happened to Baylor after Art Briles' exit. You know, that that's the problem with, with the smaller schools is that they can be good, but it really depends a lot on that coach. I would state the same thing with Matt Campbell. You know, he's done a great job there. But what was my, uh, Iowa State before he got there, and what will Iowa State be after he's gone? Those are the those are the questions that all these other conferences are going to ask about these these schools because there's not an attractive, you know, I mean, look, if you're the, you're the Pac-12 or you're the Big Ten or even the ACC, which one of these schools just really, you know, stirs your drink? I mean, I, I just don't – I don't think there's really much All there. Right, so then if your Bulls be, what's your move? Oh, I know what they're doing now. They're, they're you know, they're reaching out and saying, listen, you come to – look, we'll, you come in the like – they, they would want schools from the AAC to merge with them. Uh, and they'll say, listen, we're an autonomous uh, conference here. We've, we've got big payouts. We've got $38 million a year. You've got 15, you know, you want to come here and, and, you know, in the short term, that would make sense. But what happens when the contracts are up in 2025? Because right now the big 12 is the mirror image of the AAC. There's, there are, there are no uh, big brands in the league anymore. It's probably a little bit better than the uh, AAC in a way because maybe because of Oklahoma State, but I'm, I'm not even sure I'd say that. I mean, Cincinnati was pretty good the last couple of years. You know, Houston's been pretty good the last couple of years. SMU's been pretty good. You know, uh, it might the AAC might be a better league right now than the Big 12 is without Texas and Oklahoma. So this is going to be a really tough decision uh, for them to make. Uh, I, 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 I don't have a good feel for it yet. I, nobody I've talked to has a good feel for it yet. Uh, there's a lot of, uh, you know, things that have to shake out. This was all such a surprise and came out of nowhere. You know, the SEC may vote this week on whether to accept Texas and Oklahoma, but it's not sure if that's exactly going to happen yet. If I was the Big 12, I think what I would be looking for right now is not necessarily big state schools and not necessarily the big, big brands, but up-and-coming programs and up-and-coming universities in big markets. Um, that's what, that's, that, that would be my pursuit. I don't know that adding SMU or, uh, uh, Louisiana tech or any of those necessarily does a whole lot for you. No, it, it doesn't. And of course, you know, the markets are not the same, you know, cables out streamings in, uh, so it's not the same thing as it used to be, but numbers matter you need. And that's why I think that's why these leagues are positioning themselves to get to, uh, uh, you know, 16 teams, super conferences. I think they, they're looking for their own governance here. I think the NCAA is on its way out. 
There's a lot of things happening, and the SEC is the one conference that is now positioning it, itself to handle whatever comes. We didn't even Pardon. get the we did not even get to the meltdown that the A and M's are experiencing. We'll have to do that next week. Well, we'll do that next week, but it's yeah, we'll it's still a lot be of melting. So yeah, it's good stuff. A lot of aftershocks. Right. Yeah, speaking of melting down, uh, the uh, Team USA is is having its uh, its problems here as the. Uh, we go through the first uh, days of the Olympics. Uh, first, Katie Ledecky uh, lost to an Australian, and her coach went nuts. Um, the Team USA lost to France, which uh, apparently is just old hat these days. That's the second time they've lost to France in the last two years. Um, and then Simone Biles uh, withdrew from the team competition, and uh, the U.S. lost to the Russian Olympic Committee, uh, which always sounds great to me when you say that, right? You feel like there's a bunch of old guys in <laughs> the suits committee, out there. The bureaucrats. You know, Politburo. Yeah, exactly. So we're not off to a good start. It's also your typical Olympic uh, scam, right? Russia is banned from the Olympics, but the Russian Olympic Committee can't appear under this made-up flag. It's a workaround. Yeah. Hey, yeah, it's, it's a all good. <laughs> exactly. So anyway, uh, uh, you know, Simone Biles may uh, return to, to competition at some point here. We'll see how that goes. Uh, the uh, Katie Ledecky will, will be fine, I think. Uh, and I'm not sure about Team USA. Uh, you know, uh, David, uh, you've been around Greg Popovich a lot. He's a highly respected coach, obviously won five NBA titles. And he has taken a lot of grief now. From people saying that, oh, look, look what he's done. That you know, uh, he was the assistant coach on the team that won the bronze medal in 2004, and now he's the head coach of a team that's not doing well. Uh, you know, maybe he was overrated. Maybe he was all about Tim Duncan all those years with the Spurs. What do you say about all that? Well, I would say there is really no joy or upside in being the U.S. men's basketball coach in the Olympics because. It's assumed you'll win, and even if you win only and you're only beating teams by 10 to 15 points a game, uh, there, there are a lot of fans who are going to say, well, this team underachieved. It, it, it didn't play well together. That's, that's just where they are, uh, and, and I still think that's where they're going to be for a while. I, I think what you see now is th- this goes beyond Greg Popovich. This is – look, m- most of these other teams um, – they play together longer. You know, their NBA stars aren't there playing in all the international competitions, but they're plugging in a star player and evolving around there, and everyone else has their role. And, you know, on this team, you had two players come directly from the finals to go join the team. And I think what you're seeing with USA is like, no one to this point has been willing to assert themselves as the alpha dog. It's like everyone is going out of their way uh, to defer and to not be, you know, because they're all the player basically on their teams. And and I, I think in some ways they're deferring too much. I, I think if anything, Greg Popovich probably needs to go, look, uh, whoever he determines, Kevin Durant's going to be our main offensive a guy and Damon Lillard, you're going to be the second option, and we're going to run our offense that way, and this is how we're going to do things because that's where they're really hurting on the offensive side of the ball, and um, I think they have to define some clear roles and do it quickly, and everyone has to buy in and go, 
well, you know, I, I don't have a problem with Durant being the lead guy. So sure, let's do it. Yeah, I don't think there's any question about that. Kevin Durant's going to, have to do a lot better than 10 points, which is what he uh, mounted against France. So we'll see where that goes. Luka Doncic got off to a great start uh, in the Olympics with Slovenia. Uh, 48 points uh, in his first game. Uh, so, And then the Argentinian coach came out and said he is the best player in the world, uh, which, you know, Giannis Antetokounmpo might have something to say about that and a couple of other people too. But uh, it was nice to hear somebody say that. Uh, so, uh, at this point, I guess that the, it looks like, uh, it's okay for, uh, Luca to carry, uh, Slovenia, maybe not so much to try to carry the Mavericks. What do you think? I have no thoughts on the Olympic basketball tournament. <laughs> Zero. I, 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 I watched the Olympics last night and the only takeaway I had from anything is the reaction in Seward, Alaska watching Lydia Jacoby win a gold medal. And to me, that is what the Olympics are all about. It's not about basketball schemes and defense and woe is me about this international game. It's about these individual triumphs and, and great stories. And and that that will be the thing that, that sticks with me probably from this entire Olympics. Well, Evan, clearly you're way too sentimental about all this kind of stuff. Uh, as, as a guy who covered nine Olympics myself, I always look for those kind of stories. Uh, it was a lot of fun. I enjoyed them. So. Now, I also am fired up about Israel's baseball team, which begins play tomorrow. Uh, I, I saw that. You wrote a little bit about Ian Kinsler, but we're, we're not going to talk about that now. You know, Ian Kinsler, this is, a, this is an Ian free zone no. in this uh, <laughs> particular podcast. So we're not talking about him. All right, that, that's going to do it for our, uh, our potpourri segment, which was kind of an unusual one. It was a little bit long, but that's all right. We had a lot to talk about in those two. Now we're going to talk about a little trade deadline uh, stuff here. It's coming up Friday at 3 p.m., MLB's trade deadline. The Rangers could be right at the forefront of that. They have a couple of guys that people would be interested in, or at least we, we thought they would be. Uh, Joey Gallo and Kyle Gibson, as well as Ian Kennedy, the closer. Uh Evan, give us the breakdown on what you think is going to happen Friday at 3 o'clock. Well, I don't necessarily exactly think that's important. That, that's HIPAA. Ha, ha. Let's go. Come on. I don't, I, Kevin, here's what I think is going to happen. Ian Kennedy will be traded. Uh, the question is whether he's traded with Kyle Gibson or with Joey Gallo uh, in a package deal that brings the Rangers back a little bit more. Because trading Kennedy, a 37-year-old reliever, even one who's had a lot of success, is not going to bring a great return as a rental. Um, Kyle Gibson has kind of dinged up his value a little bit because all the questions about Kyle Gibson that existed before this season have now arisen over the last three starts. He's not striking out, guys, um, at the kind of pace that you would need a guy who's going to pitch in a playoff rotation. Uh, he has not pitched well in these games, uh, and so there's some questions there. And then the Gallo situation remains a huge unknown. Uh, if, if you look back at the track record, I know every Texas Ranger fan looks back at the Mark Teixeira trade and says you can get a haul at the deadline for a quality player with a year plus of control. But look back at the number of position players that have been traded over the last few years and outside of rentals, there have not been a ton of position players traded at the deadline. What you end up seeing is these guys get traded in the offseason more than they do at the deadline. 
I think that's an impact here. I think the Rangers have talked to Gallo about a contract extension. I don't know if that is continuing towards resolution or if it has been just outright rejected, but the Rangers have made some proposals. I'm not optimistic about that getting done either because Scott Boris is the agent, and I think that the track record is very clear there, and the Rangers may be talking about $20 million a year, and Scott Boris is looking at his past clients and looking at the $30-plus million a year that Bryce Harper and Anthony Rendon got. So uh, the Rangers are in a they're, they're in a little bit of a bind um, where these guys are concerned. Um, I just don't think that – I don't think that the 12-game losing streak, as ugly as it's been, and it has been perhaps the worst offensive stretch of baseball in Major League history, as bad as that's been – that can't make the Rangers panic and take less for Gallo than they should get. Oh, I don't think there's any question about that. Uh, and, I, and that's why I think that this, that the Gallo deal doesn't happen at the deadline. I, I think that uh, Gibson will be gone. Kennedy will be a gone, be gone. I think that Gallo will still be here. I just have a hard time. Uh, I mean, why give the guy away? I, I don't, I don't understand that thinking, you know, if, if you're not getting people uh, in return that you feel like, have a real shot. I mean, you just can't get bodies. You can't just get guys. I mean, no matter what anybody thinks about Joey Gallo, and I have a good friend of mine that we have an argument about this every time I see him, he he calls him always the new Dave Kingman. It's like, I, I don't even know what to say to people like that. It's it's like, you know, first of all, Joey's a gold glove right fielder. He is, he is wiping runs off the board left and right out there in right field. Uh, and, He's going to hit enough that he's going to be a very productive player. It's hard to find guys that can do just that. The Dave Kingman thing is a tired argument because Dave Kingman was a one-dimensional guy who struck out a lot. Joey is a multi-dimensional player who strikes out a lot. If you if you take the argument on Joey Gallo that he's Dave Kingman, you're neglecting so many other aspects of the game. For 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 both for both of you, real quick, what is the t- taking the the finances out of it and just a, a, a pure talent acquisition. What What is the bottom line that each of you would say, okay, Gallo should go before the deadline? What do you have to get in return for you to say, okay, that's that's acceptable. This is something that should be done. Well, it's. I think, David, it's got to start with a, for me, a top 50 or top 60 um, overall position player prospect. Um, you're talking about top 50 or 60 in baseball. Yes. And I'm yeah. talking, you know, you're talking about Baseball America's list, MLB.com's list. Teams have their own list. But, yeah, somebody in the top 50 or 60. Toronto would be a good matchup for this team. The The Jays have a number of top-level shortstops um, in Austin Martin, uh and Jordan Groshans, and uh, they have two young shortstops as well. Um, but Toronto's also, I think, eight games out of a wild card spot right now. So it, it's hard for them to kind of give up that kind of, of, of talent. But if you started something with Gallo for a top 50 position player, somebody who comes into the organization as the equal footing of Josh Young, that's a deal you have to probably listen to and make, even if it's a one-for-one. Wow, a one for one would be really tough for me. I, I, I really, you know, to me in my mind, uh, and part of the problem is, is that so Joey leaves, 
who's replacing him on, on the roster? You know, uh, at this point, I, I would imagine what would happen. They'd move uh, Adolis over to right field, and then they would let Eli White play center. But you know, Eli's not tearing it up at this point. Uh, Adolis has gone ice cold, too. He's a yes, streaky he has, player, and he's gone ice cold. I, I, I think, Kevin, the reason I say you'd almost have to do it one for one right now is because the answers that the Rangers have gotten this year about all these players that they that they gave opportunities to have unfortunately by and large come back in the negative. Yeah, I mean they're they're answers, they're they're just negative answers. And I think that just adds to the length of the rebuilding process. And so the idea I I completely agree with the idea that look, if you keep Gallo and then you add to Gallo, maybe you've got a core starting to percolate up, but I also wonder if you're never, ever going to be able to time that up right um, unless you agree to give Gallo an extension, a long-term extension, and that's going to be costly, and you're not going to let it impact how you approach free agency. And until ownership here is willing to do that, uh, that's an un- that's an unknown. Yeah, it is. Uh, and I think the contract, you're, you're right. If, uh, if you could get Joey for – for five years, a hundred million dollars, I'd do that. Uh, if it's going to cost you five years, five years, one hundred fifty million dollars, well, then you then you got to have second thoughts about it as well. I might even do five years and one hundred and fifty. I think the problem right now is we're talking about eight years and two hundred and forty, or ten years and two hundred and seventy. See, and that's what John Daniels after the the Shinsu Chu contract. I think he decided I, I've made a mistake with these the contracts that run seven, eight, ten years, whatever. That those are a bad idea. There, to me, there's almost no bad contract that's five years in baseball because uh, you you know you can you can live through that. It is when you get into these contracts that go seven, eight, ten years, almost invariably, unless the guy is a Fernando Tatis who's 23 years old. You know, you just you just really don't want to get into one of those. And, and Joey's 27 at this point. All right, that's going to do it for our Rangers segment uh, and leading up to the trade that trade deadline. Now we're going to talk a little Cowboys, uh, and they, they're out there at training camp. David's out there. David, what's the temperature in Oxnard, as Jerry calls it? Right now as we're talking, I believe it is 67 degrees, and the marine <laughs> layer has not burned off. You know, I, I will say uh, there was no trip to Oxnard, as Jerry calls it, last year, uh, but the – the three to two to three previous trips, it was warmer here than it had been. It was actually getting up into the mid seventies, uh, sometimes even the upper seventies some days. And that marine layer would burn off by uh, seven thirty, even eight in the morning. But but now why are this- we talking? Mar- why are we having marine layer talk? <laughs> I love marine layer. Now in this camp, I would say the marine layer is not burning off till about noon, twelve thirty. And it, it has been it's been a return to what this climate has been for so so long in Southern California. But 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 I will say this: the song "It Never Rains in Southern California" <laughs> did not apply yesterday because it rained for about two and a half to three minutes here, which is only the second time I can remember since I've been coming here. My God, how you guys are suffering! That's the problem with seventies songs: is that you know. It, talking about never raining in Southern California. What a ridiculous uh, lyric that was in the first place. Uh, you know, <laughs> anyway. I love Marine. I love talking about Marine layers. You know, it makes me all uh, patriotic and everything. <laughs> uh, so, so David, the, the, the Cowboys have, uh, I've seen a little bit of uh, Dak Prescott, Jerry Jones, that 
a noted football physiologist, said that he's <laughs> never seen Dak have a better practice than Dak had the other day. Uh, I, I really trust Jerry's uh, opinion on that. Um, <laughs> I, I can tell by the way you set that up that you were. Yeah. Uh, and you know, Micah Parsons is, uh, is playing very well. He, he is standing out as, uh, Mike McCarthy, uh, said, uh, which is going to be very intriguing then in, in that whole linebacker conversation. But one thing I want to ask you about this defense, David, is that I, I, I actually looked this up all by myself, uh, that since last year, the Cowboys have added, I believe this is correct. Six defensive backs to the roster, and that does not count Keanu Neal, who is now a hybrid linebacker, or Malik Hooker, which I was at that point I don't think he had actually signed anything yet. Uh, yeah, he is and, not yet. They're, they're, yeah, that could come as soon as today. He will, so that will add what that will make it seven. Then I guess yes. by your calculation, yeah, um, yeah, and, and really you're seeing that across the defensive side of the ball, but, but you're right. This is a completely remade secondary. And often when you're struggling and we've seen this before, you throw numbers at it at, at positions, but it still comes down to who is in those numbers. You can't just throw numbers at it, you know? And, uh, but, but when you don't have a lot of options, when you've been struggling to, to me, the other issue is too, is, you have all these, you have this unsettled mass out there at some of these positions. And it's like, okay, you also need to work through in limited camp time on what you've had in the past to get all these guys snapped to get some separation. Uh, so you can actually, you know, get a pecking order and you can actually feel good about someone you're going to put in these positions. And, and so you have to balance that as well when you have as many new people on the defensive side of the ball as you do. And you really have some spots that are completely up for grabs, you know, pretty quickly you have to go, okay, this is the order. Now let's start working these guys because we have to see if they, because sometimes guys with increased stat, snaps get exposed in practice. And it's a, it's a balancing act here. And so I think it's still, it, look, this defense isn't going to be settled to start the season. Uh, it, it will be younger and faster than it was last year. Uh, going into the season and and probably a, a little more depth but but I think it's going to take a while to work through all this as bad as they were last year I think it's a great point about when you you're bringing in so many guys and there's only so many snaps that everybody gets and then, it, then it's not productive then you know if you're trying to do new things and you've got so many guys involved in it then the guys that are going to start have not gotten enough reps in in training camp and then you get off to a slow start in the season they're going to have to start making decisions fairly quickly so with that in mind David Who's going to be the starting cornerbacks to start the season? Well, you know, so there's no question that Trayvon Diggs is going to be one of the starting cornerbacks. Um, you know, right now, uh, Anthony Brown uh, is the other starting corner. I think ideally, uh, I think sooner rather than later in the season, rather early, they would like one of the rookies to move in there and have Brown be the third corner. Um, but I, I think right now you would go Brown. You know, what we saw in – uh, the off-season program and OTAs and minicamp, Deshaun Wright uh, actually popped and showed up more than Calvin Joseph at corner, their second-round pick. And so, yeah, I, I think the uh, uh, you know Calvin Joseph was in the uh, COVID protocol, uh, missed some time, wasn't in good shape in the off-season, and Deshaun Wright really took advantage of that. So I think the uh, inherent lead that Calvin Joseph had by being a higher draft pick. I think evaporated coming into this camp. 
Uh, having said that, I think Calvin Joseph has looked pretty good in this camp. And I, I think he's, uh, you know, he has really impressive catch-up speed. Uh, I haven't seen him beaten over the top yet. Uh, he's starting to flash a little bit here. So uh, I, I think off of Calvin Joseph and, and Nashawn Wright, they like what they've seen from both of them so far. I thought Nashawn Wright looked good early in camp, and I, I think he struggled here over these last couple of days. But 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 I would say that that either Wright or Joseph, uh, they would love to have one of those guys starting next to Trayvon Diggs early in the season. Maybe not on week one, but early in the season. So Donovan Wilson starts at strong safety? Strong safety. Uh, you know, Demontre Kazee uh, is getting some some run there now. The free safety is 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 a bigger question about how they, they fill in there. And, you know, Mike McCarthy – uh, went out of his way a few days ago to say their interest in Malik Hooker in no way indicated that they are unhappy with where they are at safety. Uh, but then he talked about the position, and the only guy he mentioned was Donovan Wilson, which still leaves you one more starter to go and depth. So they are concerned about the safety position, especially free safety, and I think that's one of the bigger questions uh, defensively on the, on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, you know, they, they like where they are at linebackers, just kind of sorting through how you're going to figure out to use them. And, and they're also kind of going the wave mentality in the defensive line as well. Um, you know, people are very excited here because Randy Gregory has looked very good in practice. I will say I reserve any excitement on offensive and defensive linemen, how they look early in camp before pads are put on. And they, you know, the, the Cowboys have been here a week and still have not had a padded practice yet. That will come on Wednesday. So once the pads come on, I think you get a better determination of just where the offensive and defensive linemen are. Uh, right now, it's more about the skill players and the perimeter guys. All right. Real quickly, because we need to get out. Uh, so uh, Tyron Smith and uh, Leo Collins, both uh, looking pretty healthy. Both, again, put on the pads. But yeah, and you know, Tyron Smith has told people this is the first time uh, that, that he's had uh, neck pain even since his days at USC. This is the first time since his early days at USC he has had no neck pain whatsoever. And you can actually tell a difference in his demeanor. Uh, you know, he's smiling more, he's engaging more with people, which I think is an indication that physically, uh, maybe he, he's very encouraged about where he is now. Very good. All right. That's going to do it for our podcast this week. Obviously we had to cram a lot of things in. We appreciate you uh, hanging in there with us. There'll be more stuff next week as we, uh, as we talk about the uh, continued meltdown of Texas A&M. Are we done? Yeah, we're, we're done, Evan. We're out. So you, and let yeah. me say physically, I don't feel as good about where I am as Tyron Smith does, if anyone has, <laughs> if anyone was questioning that. And, and are we done with vacations? Is everybody working like through marine layers going forward and everything? Actually, I have a I have vacation two weeks from now. Said so the man who last missed a podcast because he was on vacation yeah, and then whined on. about how he was having to do it from his vacation. But I did it. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. And we heard okay. about it, too. Pina colada in hand, I did it. <laughs> Which was another thing, because that was at 7 in the morning. But that's another issue. That's going to do it, everybody. Thank you. <laughs> See you next time. Bye. Bye.